welcome back to the Cordell and Cordell and Men's Divorce Podcast. I'm Scott Trout, CEO and Managing Partner of Cordell and Cordell. We continue to bring you information for guys before, during, and after divorce with all things regarding family law. And today is no different. And keep in mind, take some notes. This is talking points, not legal advice. Obviously, I've always said this doesn't uh, substitute for initial consultation where we'll get some of the facts that really make a difference where we can give you uh, some good, sound legal advice and strategy. And we want to do that. Check out uh, the web, cordellcordell.com. Give us a call at 866-DADS-LAW. We can do consultations via Zoom, telephone, in-person, where appropriate, really up to you. You can do it from the comfort of your home or your office, or you can come face-to-face, however you want to do that. But give us a call at 866-DADS-LAW. Today, we're going to talk about experts uh, in custody cases, and we're joined by senior litigation partner, Bridget Landry, up in Minnesota. Welcome. Hi. Thank you, Scott. Good morning. Good morning. Well, let's talk about it. Um, You know, we've touched briefly in the last 12 or 13 months, uh, one particular expert, but let's talk about custody evaluators, custody experts, um, what you can do. We'll go through the whole gambit of why you want to do it. So um, let's talk about custody evaluations and what you would do and the type of experts and we'll kind of go from there. Sure. So there are a few different types of experts, but the the custody evaluator kind of runs the whole gamut of the types of evaluations that or experts that would be consulted. So you've got your custody evaluator, but then as part of that, you can also have a psychologist who does a mental health assessment, a chemical dependency expert who does a chemical health assessment. And then adjacent to that, you can also sometimes have a guardian at litem, which can be court appointed um, in certain instances of um, domestic abuse or um, some parental alienation or really heavy parental conflict. So if you go through the custody evaluation and you have mental health concerns or chemical health concerns about a parent, the custody evaluation will actually encompass those evaluations. But custody evaluations are also quite costly. So sometimes if you just want to address a mental health concern or a chemical health concern, you can look at hiring those experts just for that specific purpose. So, you know, clients are always, you know, why do I need one? I mean, can't we just put a witness or can I just testify as to my relationship? Isn't that going to be good enough? I mean, because I know they worry about the cost. They, you know, everyone's cost conscious. I would be too. Why do they really need one? Maybe that's the question. Yeah, so, and I totally understand that because custody evaluations can be quite expensive. Oftentimes in a custody case, it does come down to a strict he said, she said. And when you have a custody evaluator appointed, they are tasked with the um, doing a really in-depth investigation into both parents' perspectives, both parents' reporting, but they also talk to the children. They talk to school officials. If the children are in therapy, they talk to those therapists. If the parents are in therapy, they talk to those therapists. So what the custody evaluator does is they consult all these outside sources, talk to collaterals, and then they put together this very comprehensive evaluation that the judge then uses um, to assist with deciding the issues in custody and parenting time. And where that can be especially important is giving credence to your client's position. But also, if your children are a bit older, the custody evaluator will talk to them and include 
what they've reported, if they have preferences into the evaluation. If you don't go that route, oftentimes your children's preferences are left out of court. Um, it's very rare that you'll have a child involved in, in a custody trial. It's very rare that they'll be talking to the judge. Um, courts generally like to keep children out of it. So the best way to get their, their voice heard is through a custody evaluation. Yeah, I, was, I think I was just talking with one of our other partners, Rick Julius, about kids testifying in a podcast lately. And that's just one way to get away from it is to use an evaluator. But, um, you know, I am a big fan of experts in cases, whether they're vocational or accounting. I mean, it takes away from the he said, she said, um, especially I think what's really important with evaluators. And we can talk a little bit about it, um, about how to get clients ready. And that is when you have a guardian ad litem. Uh, you know, the guardian is kind of this red herring. You know, you just don't know where it's going to go in the direction. To me, getting your own evaluator or psychologist is almost like insurance. I mean, maybe the result isn't what you want, but, you know, it's a better, you have a little bit more control than the GAL, right? I mean, I think to me, it's just almost a necessity. I'm always going to recommend it to clients. Yeah, I totally agree with you because um, in the state of Minnesota, at least, all of the guardian at litems are court appointed. And um, in recent times, their budgets have been slashed. They are um, few and far between. Their appointments are being restricted and only used in like very serious cases. So what you have is a guardian who has a lot of clients and can't devote the time to an investigation that a custody evaluator would. Um, and that's important, especially if you have a parent making allegations of domestic abuse or alcohol or chemical dependency or even mental health, and your client is telling you this is not true, she's making it up, and you have a lack of evidence, um, you know, the way to get kind of the, the truth out there is through the use of, of an expert. Even in the toughest of times, there are usually opportunities for relief. Many husbands and dads listening now are struggling to stay current on alimony and child support orders. You should know that this crisis may allow you to modify your support obligations, but time is of the essence. If you're a guy needing help right now, not someday when things are back to normal, call us at Cordell & Cordell. This is what we do. You know, we talk about court-appointed guardians. Are there court in Minnesota particularly, uh, are there joint uh, agreed to experts where, I mean, there's risks, I get it. We can talk about those, but if not, but where they both parties say, okay, we'll agree to split the cost of an expert and the court appoints them. Yes, oftentimes that is the practice in Minnesota. Um, and that's, there are a few reasons for that. One is that um, there are, we have a good steady, uh, strong list of mutually acceptable neutrals. And so if you and opposing counsel can agree on them, it saves the costs because the parents are sharing it. Um, and it also, the court tends to give it a little more credence than if it was just one-sided expert. That's not to say if you have your own expert, the court is just going to discount it. But for whatever reason, because they understand it's a neutral expert, they do tend to give it a little bit more weight than if it was just a one-sided yeah. expert. 
court. Um, so then if the parties agree on the neutral, there there's a stipulation that we file that appoints them. So um, it's appointed by agreement. The court just doesn't have um, or rarely takes the authority to say you're going through a custody evaluation and you're going to pay for it. Um, that's very rare. So that is how, how it ends up happening. But once appointed, there's these set of rules they have to comply with. They're tasked with um, all of these pieces to get the information to the court. I mean, it's risky. I mean, you're, you're putting your hands again in, in something that, that now is court appointed and good or bad, that information's coming in. And if it's bad, I think you're dead in the water. Uh, you know, if you have dueling experts, there is an opportunity for your attorney to cross-examine and to pick apart the conclusions, mm -hmm. the reports, the the failures, whatever it may be. So, again, you know, the whole point of podcasts like this is to talk about what we what we see uh, and to spur conversation about. Wait a minute, you know, maybe I don't want a neutral. Maybe you know. So, it is something to talk about. So, the question is, how do you prepare a client for their first meeting with an evaluator? Sure. So what I like to do first is just talk with the client um, and tell them that they have to be completely honest with me. Um, I understand there may be some things that they're ashamed of, embarrassed about, but I need to know it because I can't do my job if I don't know what's going to come out. And that also helps me talk with the client about how to, to put whatever these bad facts are in the best light possible. So at that initial meeting, I just kind of go through uh, the best interest factors and say, you know, what is the other party going to say about you? What is, what is he or she, mostly she, going to tell the expert? Mm -hmm. And then um, once I get that, I'll work with my, um, the client on gathering all the documents he can get. So uh, medical records for the children, if the spouse is claiming, well, he was never involved, he didn't ever take the kids to the doctor, the dentist. School records, if there's a claim that, well, since we've split households, um, the grades are failing and that's all dad fault. Um, you know, I, cause those are all records that clients can get. So the sooner I have them, uh, I can go through and talk with the client and say, you know, this is where I see the evaluator may have some questions. So how are you going to answer that? And then I can say, okay, that's good. Let's think about answering it this way and just put it in a, in the best light possible for the client. So they feel prepared and they know what they're going to talk about and how they're going to answer questions. And I've had it where we've uh, retained an expert and, and the other side was not aware of it at the time. We didn't have to disclose it and the result was unfavorable. So how do you deal with that? So that's interesting because um, that has, I've actually had um, some neutral custody evaluations that have been unfavorable. Um, so in that context, um, one thing to do is get, get a second expert to take a look, like you mentioned, and poke holes. Mm -hmm. But in that particular case, what I did, because most custody evaluators will have each parent fill out a very lengthy intake. So I got the file because you're allowed to do that. And I went through and my client went through the file and we looked and compared it to the report. And we saw all these points where the evaluator was just copying verbatim what mom said and discounting everything that dad said. And that case ended up going to trial. And because of, of the work that we did and the cross-examination of the expert, I actually got her recommendations thrown out. And all my client wanted was equal time. 
And that's what the judge gave him. You know, she was verbatim copying mom every other weekend, you know, the traditional restrictive schedule. Um, So that's something that is really helpful, at least in Minnesota, being able to get the file and see, you know, what has actually been done. Did the expert talk to to who they said they did? Sometimes they haven't, you know, sometimes their notes don't reflect that. So, so that's one way to do it. And I've had them where, like I said, it's been bad and and it's kind of this decision time for clients where it wasn't the neutral, it was our hired expert. But uh, even when you have dueling experts, I mean, that is a, you know, difficult scenario. Um, I particularly use my own expert uh, to pick apart the other side's report. And that's a way to cross-examine. And one, I just remember, I'm curious in your experience, I remember one 20 years ago where not only did we pick it apart, but I did a little bit of investigation on the expert. And it turns out that the expert in their entire career, not one single time have they ever recommended 50-50 or cussy to the father, ever. Wow. And so we use that as a cross-examination to say, look, you're just a hired gun for, for moms, period. And you don't consider the true facts of the case. And it just blew that entire uh, report apart. But what's your, what's your experience? Yeah, I completely agree. Anytime we have dueling experts, I do that exact same thing. I have my expert look at their report, um, see where there's holes, see what's missing. Um, and then and then I ask them to bolster our, our evaluation. I say, so what did you do that they didn't do? Um, and that can be very helpful. I've had that work for me on a number of cases, just the assistance of our own expert um, you know, telling me where certain holes are and where I can attack the expert and then seeing what was lacking in their report. And I think that um, when a judge is considering those, that is very helpful. And I think the court really takes that seriously because if they're looking at two competing reports, but you can point out the other side and what they didn't do and, and what the result would have been if they did do it, that's very helpful to bolster your case and, and your expert's report. Yeah. I mean, there's occasions I've had it. The clients tested out with MMPI and, and just was not good. And, you know, now you're in kind of saving what you can mode. And, and it's, I always say, look, all is not lost. And I've had cases that were terrible. But the point is, is that guys listening, watching, whatever, shouldn't freak out. I mean, there, there's a way. I mean, let's just regroup and re-strategize. And let's figure out maybe... Our goals are too lofty based upon the testing. And maybe you tend to agree with something that I had a client say, yeah, I'm narcissistic, no doubt, 100%. Mm-hmm. And um, it is what it is. So uh, I think that's a way to do it. It's being, you know, attentive to the case and having frank and direct and good conversations as things go, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And that and that's also can be beneficial when you get the results back that aren't necessarily favorable, because it then tells you, okay, this is a problem. We have to address it. So and now we know what we have to do to address it. So then you work with your client and say, okay, this is what you're going to do. And this is how long it's going to take. And if you do this, you have a really great chance of still getting, you know, significant time with your child. Um, because you can also, unless the evaluation is completely ba- baseless, pretty much think that the court is going to order whatever services that are being recommended or anything like that. So if you can get a jump start on that prior to your trial, then you say, okay, we have this evaluation and this is what was recommended and look at everything he's been doing and look at how he is now. And sometimes in that case, 
between when you get the evaluation and your time of trial, your client has improved so much that it might be helpful to get a second evaluation to just mm -hmm. see the difference and the improvements that have been made. That's why COVID has really, you know, one can easily just take COVID and just look at it as a complete negative and do nothing about it. Um, I said, let's take a, a really bad situation and let's find all the positives. And that is time, especially in Missouri right now, where divorce was mandated by Supreme Court order to be completed within six to nine months on average. Now you're looking at 12 to 24. So you come up with a bad psych report. Now we have, as you say, we have plenty of time to make adjustments. You know, mm -hmm. maybe you've got an alcohol issue that's come out of that. Maybe you've got a gambling issue. Maybe you've got an anger issue. Let's go get anger classes. Let's figure it out, represent and say, look, it's what we've done to improve ourselves, acknowledge the bad. So I think, you know, that's for us, at least here in Missouri, uh, COVID, we can turn that into a positive. Yeah, I agree. We're seeing the same thing in Minnesota. And historically, our cases do take a little bit longer. We always said um, pre-COVID, uh, it was about a year from the time of filing until the time of your trial. But now, I mean, we're looking at a year and a half to two years. And yeah. you can, I mean, there are things you can do to take advantage of that time. You're right. And addressing, you know, issues and problems is, uh, is, is good. I mean, you can take that time and then that puts you in a better position when you do go to trial. Yeah. When I started 28 years ago, I mean, cases were three to five years. And oh. so, and we've been doing this gosh for so long at the, under this Supreme court mandate of uh, at least under 12 months, no longer six to nine. Um, it's just a shock. And so things hopefully will pick back up, but it does, we can turn it into a positive. So Bridget, thanks for joining today and giving us some information on experts and a really important topic for guys. You're welcome. I'm happy to do it. Thanks, Scott. We'll continue to tune in, check out the YouTube channel, have tons of podcast material, including our virtual town hall sitting right there on the channel where you can just pour through it and find the topic that interests you or that's affecting you and get some quick information lead to a great discussion with your attorney. Check us out on social media and register for the virtual town hall that's coming up for Cordell and Cordell. You can log in live, ask questions of the Cordell and Cordell panel of attorneys and get answers right then and right there. So tune in twice each week. We're going to bring you the information just like this. And then again, check us out at CordellCordell.com. Give us a call 866-DADS-LAW. Until next time, have a great week.